As I said, it's, uh, it's good to be back with you all uh, today. And um, if you were here uh, two weeks ago, you know that we, we started a new sermon series for the summer that I'm calling Witnesses. Uh, we're going to be looking at passages from the book of Acts throughout the summer uh, that describe how the good news of Jesus spread from those initial disciples, the ones who walked with Jesus uh, while he was here on earth, and how it spread from that small group to begin to reach out to the ends of the earth. Uh, So two weeks ago, we looked at the very first verses in the book of Acts, where Jesus told his disciples that they would be his witnesses. And this role of being a witness, um, which we talked about two weeks ago, really means someone who is testifying to what they've seen, what they've heard. And, and so the disciples were being called to, to testify to who Jesus is, what he had done, what they had seen and experienced of him in their own lives. And it was through their witness that this gospel spread um, throughout the world. Uh, last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday. And it's the Sunday that we often remember uh, how the Holy Spirit came upon those first believers and empowered them to begin witnessing to the people of Jerusalem. And we even heard that in those first verses where Jesus promised you know, to wait while the Holy Spirit would come upon them. Um, that event is recorded in Acts chapter 2. And, and um, I've actually preached on, on that, that chapter a few times um, over the, the last few years. So today we're actually going to be uh, jumping ahead to chapter 3, Acts chapter 3, where we see kind of the effects of the Spirit coming upon those believers. And as they began to worship together and gather together, um, we see an ex- a great example of how two of Jesus' disciples, Peter and John, acted as witnesses to the people that they encountered. Um, and we're going to see how this passage points uh, to what it means, again, to be, to be a witness in our world today. So my sermon title today is Power in Word and Deed. Uh, we're going to see that, that Peter and John's witness shows power. And, it, and this power is expressed both in word and in deed. And we're going to explore that a little bit today of how that, what that means um, in our lives today as well. So our text is Acts chapter 3. I'm going to read the entire um, chapter, so verses 1 through 26, where we get this whole picture of this event that happened um, in the life of the early church. Uh, so we'll have those verses on the screen, um, or you can follow along in, in your Bibles. Acts chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, Look at us. So the man gave, him, gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Don't you love that image? It's just leaping. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. 
And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. And by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago, through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, Through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Pray that you would give us ears to hear um, your word to us today. What you were doing um, in Jerusalem through Peter and John and how you are calling uh, us into the same story in our lives, too. And so, speak to us now, Holy Spirit. Give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. In this passage um, today, there there are kind of two primary interactions that happen. Uh, The first takes place in verses 1 to 10, where Peter and John have this interaction with a man who is crippled from birth. And then uh, the second half of the passage, verses 11 to 26, Peter speaks to the crowd of people who gather after this crippled man is miraculously healed. And in both instances, Peter and John are acting as witnesses. They are being a witness to this man, this crippled man, and they're also being a witness to the crowd. And so as we look at each part, we're going to to see how this passage invites us again to understand more clearly what it means to be a witness in our lives. And the first thing that we're going to, to talk about and explore today is that in order to be a witness... We need to understand our audience. We need to understand the people who we are speaking to. Uh, Peter and John, in this text, they're on their way up to the temple in Jerusalem. 
they, they, were, they were continuing to, to gather and to worship in Jerusalem, and they would go up to the temple at set times for prayer. Uh, I mentioned you know, the, the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. And at the temple, there, was a, there were different gates around the temple. One of those gates, as it says in the passage, was called Beautiful. Must have been a nice gate, I guess, you know. Um, and it was likely a gate that, that led from the outer court of the temple, which was uh, called the court of the Gentiles. That Gentiles were allowed to be in the sort of outer court. But then there was an inner court that only those who were, who were Jewish, who were, who were Israelites, would, could, could enter into. And it was likely at this gate that, that, the, that this man sat um, and was begging. It says that, that he, was, he was there every day begging for money. And so he, he does the same thing as Peter and John are on their way to enter through this gate to, to worship. He asks them for money. Now, Peter and John could have easily passed by this man. I mean, they were, they were, they were on their way to a prayer meeting at the temple, right? They could have easily just said, oh, we're, we're kind of busy. We got to get going. But verse 4 says, that after this man cries out to them, it says, Peter looked straight at him as did John. The verb that, that's used here means to fix your eyes on something. And so Peter and John, they stop. They focus on this man. They look at him. They pay attention to him. They're seeking to understand him. And as they did, there were certain things that, that they could pretty easily see about him. They could see that this man was in need. He obviously had deep needs. He, he, he actually was in a situation where he couldn't help himself at all. Right? He was crippled. He, was, he, he couldn't even move. He had to be carried to this place. They could also see that, that it seemed that the, the main thing that he was looking for was money. He was, he was begging for, for money. As we encounter people in our, in our day-to-day lives, it's important that we seek to understand them. Your neighbor, your coworker, your friend, people that we interact with every day, to stop, to look at them, to listen to them. Because as we do, as we begin to do what Peter and John did here, to, to focus our attention on the lives of the people around us, we will begin to learn things about them similar to what Peter and John saw in this crippled man. We will begin to see areas of need in their lives and things that need healing. For some people, those areas of need may be more obvious and visible, like, like this crippled man. You know, maybe we could see kind of need very, very clearly. But for other people, those needs may be more hidden. But here's the thing. Everyone has areas of need. Everyone has things that need healing. It might be the need to be noticed, the need to be appreciated. There's, there's a hunger there. There's a, there's a feeling of lack of that or, or the need for friendship and community. Many people in our city who are, who are lonely. Right? There's, a, there's a need there. Maybe it could be healing from emotional scars from the past or maybe healing from an experience of failure. But the people that we pass on the street every day, the people that we work with and we shop next to, each of them has a story. Each of them has needs. Areas of, of healing. And it takes time to often understand those deeper needs and scars that people have. It takes attention. It takes a willingness to stop, to pause, to listen, to pay attention. 
And as we listen to people, we'll also begin to see another thing as we get to understand. We're going to see what they are looking for, what they hope will meet their needs. This crippled man, he was looking for money. At least that was the obvious thing that, that, that they could see. Now, money for this man was legitimately something that he, he did need in order to provide for his basic needs. You know, he, this was he, like food and shelter. But as we're going to see, Peter and John knew that money wasn't the ultimate thing that this man needed. Even though that was what he was looking for, for them to, pro- to provide to him. Everyone is looking for something. We're all searching for the thing that we hope will bring us happiness and satisfaction. Every, every person, again, that we, that we come across, we're all, we're all looking for that, that something. There was a recent article in the New York Times that was titled, You Accomplished Something Great, So Now What? And, and it talks about this thing in the article that the author talks about is the arrival fallacy. And the expert who coined this phrase describes this as this illusion that once we make it, once we attain our goal or reach our destination, we will reach lasting happiness. We have this thought in our minds that if I can just reach that point, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be content. But the problem is, as he says, it's an illusion. It's the arrival fallacy. It doesn't happen. The problem is that we don't. We get to that point and we, and we don't feel completely content. Maybe, maybe we experience some happiness after arriving at that goal or destination we were shooting for, but the feeling inevitably, it just doesn't last, right? And we start, ah, there's something else. And yet we keep hoping that maybe there's something out there. There's, there's some point that if I can just get to that point, then maybe ah, I can just relax. Maybe then I can finally be content. I just need a little bit more money or, or just a little bit more success or achievement or I just need to reach that next goal. Part of being witnesses to the good news of Jesus means first taking time to listen and to pay attention to the people around us to understand what they are searching for. What is it that they, are, that they think is going to satisfy? In order to be able to, to speak about Jesus, the one who who is the only one who can satisfy. We need to understand the people around us. What are they searching for? Because once we have that understanding of the people or or person that we're interacting with, then we have the opportunity to do the next thing. We understand them, and then we witness to the power of Jesus in word and deed. We witness to the power of Jesus in word and deed. After Peter and John looked intently at this, this crippled man, they tell him to look at them. And it says the man did, did. he's hoping he's going to get some money from them, right? Okay, I'll look at you. Um, he's hoping that that's what's going to happen. But instead, verse 6 says, Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Peter tells this man that he doesn't have silver or gold. He doesn't have the thing that this man is looking for, this thing that the, that the man thinks, if I can just get that, then, then, then that'll meet my needs. But, but Peter says, no, I actually have something much greater for you, something that, is, that, that will far outshadow anything else. 
He has something that will transform this man's life forever. What Peter has is access to the transforming power of Jesus Christ. And so he speaks a word to this man, and then through that word, a healing act or deed is performed in this man's life. He is able to walk. So Peter witnesses to the power of Jesus in word and in deed. He speaks to him. God acts. Something happens in his life. As we get to know people in our lives who don't know Jesus, as we get to know their needs and, and the areas in their lives that need healing and the things that they're, that they're looking to, that they hope will meet those needs, we get to do what Peter did. We get to witness the power of Jesus in word and in deed. We get to point them beyond the things that they're striving for to announce the fact that Jesus is the ultimate answer. There's a, the famous Russian novelist Leo Tolstoy um, experienced great fame and wealth after he wrote his two greatest novels, War and Peace and Anna Karenina. Maybe some of you remember having to read those books maybe back when you were younger. Or, um, but uh, when Tolstoy was 52 years old, he, he had fame, he had a family, he had land, he had money. And yet, it all seemed empty to him. And he found himself unable to write. And he had trouble sleeping. And he even contemplated suicide. And this is a man who, I mean, he had made it. Tolstoy, this amazing novelist. But as he began to look around him, and many of just the ordinary Russians living their lives day to day, he saw something different in some of them. And he was amazed that, that, that these people were able to keep going every day, even in the midst of great hardship. They were struggling in different ways. And then he began to realize that it was their faith in Jesus that seemed to make the difference. The witness of these ordinary Russians pointed Tolstoy to the power of Jesus. And a short time after this, Tolstoy was taking a walk in the woods and God found him. He writes this. He says, At the thought of God, happy waves of life welled up inside me. Everything came alive, took on meaning. The moment I thought I knew God, I lived. But the moment I forgot him, the moment I stopped believing, I also stopped living. This moment for Tolstoy, this moment of conversion, it radically changed his life. He experienced the transforming power of Jesus. And like that crippled man in, his, in, the, in our text, he went walk, walking and jumping and praising God. He, he just felt alive as he began to experience God's presence. And as he says, he says, everything came alive and took on meaning. It wasn't fame. It wasn't wealth that did that for Tolstoy. It was the presence and power of God. So how are we called to witness to that, to people in our lives? How are we called to witness to the power of Jesus, that, that Jesus' name has power to transform us, to, to fulfill us in ways that nothing else can? How, do we, how are we called to do that? Well, we get a window into that when we look at the second half of our text. 
When Peter speaks to this group of people who, who come running, who are astonished at this miraculous healing of the man before them. In verse 16, Peter says to them, By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. So what Peter does here is that he is testifying to what Jesus had done in this man's life. He makes it clear that, that it was by, the, by faith in the name of Jesus that this man was healed. He's very clear. It's not about us. There's nothing in us. You know, we didn't do this. It wasn't because we're more pious or, or godly. No, no, no. It was the name of Jesus that healed this man. So part of how we are to witness the power of Jesus is by pointing to what Jesus has done in our lives and in the lives of others. It's part of what it means to be a witness is to point to what Jesus is doing, what he's done in our lives, what he's done in the lives of others. It's telling stories like Tolstoy's who couldn't find fulfillment in fame or wealth, but when he met Jesus, everything came alive for him. Some of you know that Rochelle, the kids, and I were on vacation in Ireland the week before this past one. And, and, and actually on that Sunday that we, were, that we were about to leave to the airport, Margaret Daniel um, on that Sunday morning reminded me that a family member of theirs lived in Dublin. And so we kind of got in contact with them when we got over to Ireland. And, and last Sunday while we were there in Dublin, we went over to their house for dinner. And, um, and over dinner, they began sharing this, this amazing story with us about how God had provided the house that they were living in. Um, there, were, there were several moments along the way where it looked just impossible that they were ever going to be able to, to buy that house. But yet they felt this strong sense that God was going to provide, was, was leading them to take a step of faith. You know, he, he shared about one day where he went to the neighborhood, they were going to be giving out these homes, and he didn't have a mortgage, and he did, but he showed up. And God opened the door. The person said, you don't have a mortgage? That's okay. <laughs> and, and, and just step after step, God opened this door. And there they were, where, there we were, where we were, having dinner in this home that God had provided for them miraculously. But here's the thing. He told me that the most amazing thing about this was that he began to share this story with people in his life. He started to talk about how God had provided this for with, with his co-workers and, and with their neighbors and with friends. And then they, they were just so overwhelmed with God's provision and what he had done that they just couldn't keep it to themselves. They started sharing this with people around them. And so they were witnesses to the power of Jesus, to, to God's provision in their lives. And this, 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 this act of faith that, that God had called them to step out in faith in ways they had stretched them and now they're witnessing to what God had done through their words. That's part of what it means to be a witness is to, to tell those stories to each other. When we see God act, when we see him provide, and not to just chalk it up to coincidence, but to say, no, God provided this. He opened the door. I'm going to point to that and, and give glory to God for what he has done here in my life, in the lives of people around me. But in this sermon that Peter gives, it's interesting because he does talk about this crippled man and how he was healed. He does give glory to God about that, but, but that's not the focus of his message to the people. 
he doesn't actually, his main point is not to help them see that, that Jesus has the power to heal physically. Actually, what Peter focuses on is something even more miraculous. Something that shows even more clearly the power of Jesus. And he starts in a strange place by basically bashing the people that he's talking to. <laughs> right? In verse 13, he says, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, the God of your fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. But you handed him over to be killed. And you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. And he continues in verses 14 and 15 to say, You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Peter basically is saying, all of you that I'm talking to today, you're guilty of killing the Son of God. You chose to release a murderer instead of the author of life. And this isn't the most, you know, it doesn't seem like the, the, the greatest plan to try to win over people necessarily. But here's the thing. You'd think that maybe the next part of the conclusion would be, therefore, all of you are under the judgment of God and condemned. But that's not what Peter says. He says, you... You've done this. You're guilty of this. And yet, he says in verse 19, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He tells them, even though you've done this, your sins can be wiped out. You can experience times of refreshing from the Lord. And Jesus is coming again and has been appointed for them, for the ones who rejected him. In other words, Peter is announcing Jesus' power to save sinners and rebels like us. Part of what it means to, to be a witness to the power of Jesus in word and deed is to be a witness to his power to save, to save sinners and rebels like us. Jesus, yes, he has power to make a crippled man walk. He has power to provide miraculously in our lives. But what is even more remarkable is that Jesus has the power to wipe out the sins of people who are guilty of crucifying him. And he has the power to cleanse them fully. And he has the power to bring refreshment to people who don't deserve it. And this is what it means to witness to the power of Jesus in word and deed, to announce to people who have rebelled against God, who have turned their backs on him, that they too can be forgiven. And that God wants to bring them times of refreshing. And that is the message, actually, that we all need to hear. Because we are all guilty of killing the author of life. Jesus died for the sin of the world, and that means that it was our sin that led him to the cross. But through his death and resurrection, he accomplished our salvation. And he offers us forgiveness and cleansing freely. He doesn't look at us and say, you are guilty for what you know. He says, you are cleansed. You are forgiven. You're free. 
That is power. And we get to be witnesses to that power as we share how Jesus saved us and how he has saved others. So as we close, I want to just leave you with, with a couple of questions to ponder. And the first one is, who is God bringing into your path who he might want you to witness to his power to? Who is that person that might be like this crippled man or like this crowd? Maybe, it's a, maybe it is a coworker. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe, maybe it's someone you're going to pass by on the street later today. Maybe it's one of the youth who are going to be here this week for youth works or one of the people who come from our neighborhood to the barbecue this Thursday. I don't know, but who is it that God may be placing you in your path? And, and, and the next question is, are you ready to stop and listen, pay attention to that person and their story, to look for their needs and to look for how they need healing and to listen for what they're currently looking to for fulfillment. Do we, are we willing to, to put ourselves in those places of listening to the people around us? And then are you, are you ready to bear witness to the power of Jesus through your words and your actions to that person? What, is, what, 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 what might that look like in your life to point to what Jesus has done in your life, what he's done in the lives of others, to point and announce Jesus' power to save them just as he has saved sinners like you and me. Brothers and sisters, God wants to use us as his witnesses. And this summer, I think he's going to give us opportunities to do that. It's his power that saves, not ours, And it is through his spirit that he will empower us to be his witnesses. So let's embrace that role. Be filled with his power as we proclaim this amazing news in word and in deed that our God saves. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you saw us when we were crippled, when we were helpless, when we were a rebel fighting you, that you saw us, you came near to us, you proclaimed your words of life and forgiveness. We thank you for using people in our lives to do that. People who, who spoke to us about what you had done in their lives and, what, and pointed us to others and, and pointed to, to Jesus. Or thank you for the witnesses that you've used to bring us to see you more clearly. We want to be used in the same way, Lord. We want to be witnesses of your power to save, your power to provide. And so I pray, God, that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would would give us eyes to see the people around us, that, that in those moments we would listen and be willing to stop in our tracks when you cause us to, to pause and to, to look at a person and, and to listen and to see, Lord, what you're wanting to do in their life that you would use us to speak your word and to, to do actions of love and mercy and that we would be able to rejoice just as that man did, walking and leaping and praising God 
when we see you at work, that we would share those stories with one another, that we'd share it with the world, so that others would come to know your power and your salvation in their lives as well. I pray this in Jesus' name.